in your Bibles tonight to Mark chapter number 7. Mark chapter number 7. And uh, I want I don't even know if I'm going to call this a sermon. I've got a little devotional thought I want to share with you tonight that the Lord laid on my heart. And uh, I preached long enough this morning I can get away with the devotion tonight without people thinking I went soft. Amen. Mark chapter number 7. And I'd like to begin reading at verse number 24. This is one of my favorite stories in the entirety of the Word of God. And I'm excited to preach to you about it this evening. Mark chapter 7, verse number 24. The Bible says, And from thence he arose, went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. She answered and said, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this thy saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the way that you met with us this morning. Now help us as we gather around your word to have hearts that are sincere and self-examining. Help us to view this, Lord, not as a message for somebody, but as a message for us and for what you'd have us to learn tonight of you and about ourselves. So, Lord, help us tonight to be serious as we hear the Word of God and receive it with soberness and receive it, Lord, with with seriousness that you may be glorified as we respond in obedience. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As I said a moment ago, this is probably one of my favorite passages and favorite stories in all of the Word of God. I love to read about it, not just in Mark's account, but in Matthew's as well. Matthew adds some interesting details and expands on some things. But when we read about this interaction, it is one of the strangest, but yet also probably one of the most precious of our Lord's interactions with anyone throughout His three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry. It's strange because... It seems like Jesus is acting out of accordance with his character and who we know him to be. If we're to be honest, he he seems almost rude in the way that he treats this woman. But you know, the Lord was never rude. He was altogether lovely. And he's not being rude, but rather trying to bring her to a place of understanding about the grounds upon which she, as a Gentile, can approach unto him. The Bible tells us in Matthew's account that whenever she first speaks to him, he doesn't even answer her or acknowledge her. The reason is because she comes to him and she calls him the son of David. That wouldn't mean anything to a Gentile. She had no claim upon him under that title. For that certainly the son of David is the king of the Jews and the king of kings and lord of lords. But when she uses the right title and she says, yes, Lord, and she calls him master, She recognizes that he's a savior, that he's a master, that he's a Lord, that he's a deliverer. Then he answers her back and grants her petition. If we're to understand this passage correctly, I think there's three things that frame this passage. The first, as we've already said, is her nationality. She is a Gentile. 
She is alien from the family of God at this time in uh, human history. Now, it's not to suggest there were not Gentile proselytes into the family of God. There were. There were a few. You might know the names of some of them. People like Ruth. Amen. Uh, and uh, uh, people are like, uh, you know, uh, what's her name? The uh, harlot in the Old Testament uh, that uh, that was saved out of Jericho, Rahab. You might remember Rahab. Uh, there were certainly Gentile proselytes into the Jewish faith, but... Uh, It is also true that the majority of those that knew God in the Old Testament were Jews. They were Hebrews. And you say, preacher, why is that sort of prejudice? Well, they had the truth. And that's why. They had truth about who God is. And here's this Greek woman, this Syrophoenician, and she comes to Jesus. She's heard Tyre and Sidon being right at the doorstep of Israel. She has heard of the miracles that Jesus has done. And she has now come and requested help for her daughter that is possessed of a devil. Her nationality is important to keep in mind. Number two, her humility is one of the truths that frame this passage of Scripture. It is a precious, but it is an almost jarring way that she relates her place in relation to the Savior. Jesus said unto her, verse 27, let the children be first filled. Now, who's who's he talking about when he says the children? Well, he's talking about the children of God, meaning Israel. He's saying the children, the ones that belong in the house, the ones that are that are deserving, that have status, that are the children of the father or the children of the master, they before the dogs or the slaves or the servants, they are the ones for whom the table is spread. Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it unto dogs. And I love her answer. She answered and said, yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. What she's saying, she's saying, you're right, Lord, I have no claim on you. You're right, Lord, I have no right to you. You're correct, Lord, I'm just a dog that doesn't deserve anything. But I'm willing to sit here under the table and accept what others have rejected of you. Her humility is awe-inspiring. Her nationality, her humility, but then I think the third thing that frames this is her testimony. Because the Bible tells us what happens. Verse 29, He said unto her, For this thy saying, Go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. In other words, her humility and her faith won the day. She asked the Lord in humility. She asked Him in the dependence of faith. And he answered and he granted to her her petition and gave her in her home victory over the devil and his powers and his stronghold. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, I'm saying if I'm going to rightly understand this, I've got to understand who the children are, who the dog is, why they are described in such a way. And here I read the story of a pitiful, insignificant, broken woman with nothing to offer the Savior that comes to Him by faith and is willing to readily accept her place at His feet, willingly, jubilantly, and because of that, the Lord answers and gives her something far greater than she could have ever hoped for. What a story of the grace of God. But there is a thought that occurred to me in the reading of this passage of Scripture. And maybe it's because I'm raising children. One of them is particularly young, and uh, the other one sometimes acts like it. And, and, and maybe that's why. But there's a thought that occurred to me when I read this. Listen again and think about what she says. 
The children are the nation of Israel. The dog is the Gentile. The children have status. The children have a claim. The children have a right to the food that's set on the table. The dogs, this was at a time where people didn't, you know, feed their dogs filet mignon steaks out of one of them metal pouches and everything. And at this, you know who you are, amen. Just let the Holy Spirit put that where it belongs. This was a time when dogs fended for themselves. Some of y'all grew up in times, that's how you didn't ever buy dog food. Uh, The whole world was full of dog food. There's squirrels and rabbits and rats and everything. And that's how dogs survived for a lot of years. The dog has no right to what's on the table. But once it hits the ground, you can't convince that dog it don't belong to him. So if you want what belongs to the children to go to the children, guess what? The children are going to have to eat it. I understand who the children are. They're the nation of Israel. I understand who the dogs are. In this passage, it's her particularly But that label is representative of unregenerate, unwashed masses of lost and sin-sick humanity. And we could say more specifically about the Gentile nations who at this time didn't know God. And this is what she says. Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. Leave no crumbs. You know what the children were there is not even close to what you and I are today. They were children in the house, were children of the Most High. They were children in the sense of their national status. But you and I, hey, listen, to as many as received and to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on His name. We are children not just in national uh, status, but in real substance tonight. We're the children of God. And just like happens often at my dinner table, and no doubt at yours if you have kids, the children in carelessness, recklessness, take perfectly good food that's been prepared for them and allow the crumbs to fall on the ground and to be swept away. And then I think about my life and your life. And I think about this woman's miracle. Jesus would have never been in this part of the country had he been as readily accepted in the land of Israel. But because they in open hostility turned themselves against him, he makes this little detour into a Gentile land to reach this woman and another and to make a difference in their life. Because the Jews had left crumbs, she as the dog got to lap them up. And it makes me wonder in my life how many times that I take the good things of God and just cast them aside like so many crumbs and never feast upon those things that God has done for me. I think that every one of us will strive tonight to leave no crumbs behind. I want you to notice a few thoughts with me and then we'll be done tonight. I want you to think with me for a moment about some causes of the crumbs. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, Why do crumbs get left behind in the first place? I think there's probably three simple reasons that that might happen. I think one of the reasons, and we understand that when he talks about crumbs, and when she talks about crumbs, she's not necessarily just talking about minuscule particles, but she's talking about the table scraps that would be left behind, that which is unwanted and disregarded by the children at the table. And I just think about my own dinner table growing up, and and my dinner table now as a father. I, I think about probably what your dinner table was like, and I ask the questions, 
Why would somebody sit at a table, eat perfectly good food, and leave some behind when there was more for them to be able to enjoy? Why would they do that? Well, I thought about three reasons. I thought, number one, a ruined appetite might cause that. Anybody's parents ever get on to them about ruining their appetite? I have learned as I've grown into an adult that my appetite has become far more resilient. It has, man. I mean, I, I can eat a half bag of Oreos and still sit down and eat a pork chop. Amen? I, I don't know if his practice makes perfect or what's happened, but I, 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 like every other child, when I was young, I was warned I was going to ruin my appetite. going to just ruin that appetite. And I will say as a parent that I do understand what's being stated there. I do understand what the caution was that if you eat too much, when you sit down and it's time to eat, you won't be able to eat anymore. I would say this, that you know a lot of the reason that we don't appreciate the things that God has done in our life is sadly because He's done so many good things in our life in the first place. I mean, the honest truth is, if we were to sit down and enumerate all of God's goodness and all of God's blessings in our life, There's not a single one of us that wouldn't run out of pen ink and wouldn't run out of paper before we had listed everything that God has done for us. And if we're not careful, we'll let all of those good things, all of those wonderful things, all of those precious things rob us of a consciousness of all of the seemingly simple and mundane things that God does for us every single day. Sometimes, man, we're just too full on God's goodness. And it causes us to cast the crumbs aside. Me and my wife were trying to decide where we was going to eat today, and we were talking about different places. And and I don't know. I don't know if I'm just picky or if Knoxville just has bad restaurants. I don't know. We'll take a poll about this later. I don't think it's that Knoxville has bad restaurants. I think restaurants that used to be good restaurants are now bad restaurants. I think that's a lot of what's happened. Used to be places you'd go to, and, and and man, I mean, it was just it was phenomenal. It was good, you know. And 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 now you go to these places, and everything just falling in and broken down, and, and and you know, tables ain't even got all their legs anymore, and everything just terrible. And uh, you know, things just gotten awful. But we were sitting around, we were talking about where we want to go. Well, you want to go here? No, I don't want to go there. Well, what about let's go here? No, I ain't in the mood for that. What about this? Well, they closed that down. Did they really? Yeah, yeah, that ain't even there anymore. No, no, that's one of them check cashing places. Where, where, where do you want to go? And we were talking about, I don't care what you, you judge me if you want. We were talking about going to the Sam's Club and getting a hot dog. I knew I had some people in the house. I love a Sam's Club hot dog. If you've never had one, you need to leave, leave the service right now. I don't think they're closed and go get you a Sam's Club hot dog. Dollar thirty-eight. A Sam's Club people ain't like him. Costco people got all the money in the world and can pay a dollar fifty for their hot dog and Coca Cola. We got to get the dollar thirty eight one at the Sam's Club. And uh, I, I'm gonna be honest, every now and then we just we like to go to the Sam's Club, get fourteen fifteen hot dogs because they're that cheap. And uh, and then they got they got other stuff too. They got pizza. They got, they got churros. You might know what a churro is. I mean, they ain't real churros, but I don't even know what a real churro is, so it don't matter. They got yogurt, and I'll tell you what you do. You really live in life. You'll get you one of them fake churros and a cup of that vanilla yogurt, and then you'll dip the churro in the yogurt. When you're done, you got cinnamon yogurt and diabetes. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I, we, we were just talking back and forth. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to get? I don't want to go to this place. I don't want to go to that place. Let's go there. And finally, I looked at my wife. I said, you know our problem? We ain't hungry enough. That's our problem. 
I said, we're tired, we're wore out, we want to go rest, but we ain't hungry enough. I said, when you're hungry, you don't have to figure out where to eat. You know where you want to eat. When you ain't hungry, you go stand with all the other cheap people in the line at the Sam's Club and buy hot dogs. Amen? And uh, the problem was, you say, preacher, what was the problem? Well, we weren't hungry enough. You know, oftentimes complaining in our life is just the sheer product of we ain't hungry enough. I don't just mean your belly. I don't just mean your nutrition. I'm talking about spiritually. We're we're so full and we're so fat on the things of God that when He's good to us, we don't even recognize. You know, there's another thing can ruin your appetite. At least I'm told this. And that's if you eat the wrong things. That can ruin your appetite. If you're getting ready to sit down and eat, but you eat something that that is sweet, that is full of sugar and no nutrients and no substance and no calories then it will ruin your appetite and you won't appreciate the substantial food that's then sat upon your table. Well, I mean, I, how, uh, there's about eight ways I can preach this. We might take a poll and let you decide. We could talk about modern Christianity. We could talk about so much uh, what should be preaching it and preaching is just cotton candy. It ain't nothing but sugar and air and nothing, nothing more meaningful than that. And so then when a man of God gets up and takes the Word of God and begins to expound on it and preach, often in a lot of places, this isn't true here, but in a lot of places, people despise it, they mock it, and they scoff it. Why? They got their appetite ruined by all of that sugar high mess and all that uh, quote-unquote Christian entertainment they've been a part of then I would say it's certainly true in our spiritual walk that if we've been feasting on the wrong things, we ain't going to appreciate the right things. Listen, if we've lost our love of God's goodness, our appreciation of God's faithfulness, maybe we ought to stop and ask ourselves what we've let ruin our appetite. I think one of the reasons this might happen is a ruined appetite. I think there's a second reason we might leave some crumbs behind, and that's a rude apathy might cause that. You ever you ever been around somebody that's just a messy eater? I understand, man. I enjoy eating. I mean, I, if eating was a sport, I mean, I wouldn't win, but I'd qualify, you know. And and and, and I understand. I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a particularly uh, finicky person. I'm not somebody that everything has to be just so and this way and that. But I will say this: there is some common decency and respect we ought to have in that we ought not turn our uh, place at the table into like it looks like it exploded. Amen. And, you know, one of the things that it's hard to teach children is how to eat in a neat, proper way. Because they're basically little animals. And if you let them, and this starts when they're little and you let them dump spaghetti on them. I mean, why wouldn't we think people would keep... I know adults, that's how they eat spaghetti. And I can just see them in a big high chair with spaghetti all out in front of it. I can envision it in my mind. And they're like 40 and 50 years old now, but they're just sitting there... Because that's how they eat at the dinner table now. You know, sometimes carelessness, recklessness, neglectfulness can cause you to leave behind something that you shouldn't leave behind. Sometimes we ain't careful enough in our life. And if we're not careful, we'll forget what God has done for us. We'll forget the goodness of God, His patience, His loving kindness. I think a rude apathy can cause some crumbs to be left behind. But then I thought about another thing. I, I thought this, you know, a wrong appraisal can cause some crumbs to be left behind. You know, we uh, occasionally we'll go down to a pizza place. And not like a real pizza place, but like pizza places they have here. The buffet pizza. You ever go to the buffet pizza? I like the buffet. I mean, I don't like it, but I go. And uh, there's two buffet pizza places in town. There's, there's, the, there's the pizza inn right over here. 
and then there's and then there's the Gaddies down out there in Hall. There used to be one out here on Clinton Highway, and then it burnt down. I and I was there the night it burnt down. I didn't burn it down, but I was there the night it burnt down. And then years ago, we used to have feces, CC's Pizza, but I don't know if there's any of those still around. Um, and and but those buffet pizza places. And I'm gonna be honest, I always feel a little guilty just as a human being when we go and eat at these places. Um, because nobody should waste that much food. But you, it don't cost anything beyond what you paid. And so the first thing I do when I go to these places is I will real quick get me, uh, 18, 20 slices of pizza and I'll, and I'll eat them real quick. And then you'll have your plate for your bones. They ain't really bones. They're crust. Because why would you eat the crust? Because you're at a buffet. The only reason we eat the crust on regular pizza is because we paid for it and we're too cheap to just throw it away. But if it's all the same price and it don't matter, why would you eat the crust? So instead, I thank you. I appreciate that support. So instead, I'll have a plate and it'll be for all the bones. And, you know, them a grown man eating them pizzas, it's a, they're like a slice is like a bite. It's not much. So you'll eat a bite and then throw the rest of it away. Eat a bite and then throw it. The other day we were sitting there and I looked and a guy had, it looked like a big trash can, but it was this massive bin of all of the pizza crusts and all of the, uh, the, the pizza nobody wanted that was on the buffet that he was carrying out back, I guess, to, I don't know, throw it away or something. I, I don't know what he was going to do with it. But I thought to myself, isn't it funny how when you're not paying by the slice, how liberal you get all of the sudden with what you eat and what you don't eat? You see, when you ain't paying for it, you probably don't appreciate it. When it didn't cost you nothing, you probably ain't going to value it. And you know, part of the reason we don't appreciate God's goodness, and I'm going to give you some examples here in a second, but you just hang with me. One of the reasons we don't appreciate it is because for most of us, it it ain't cost us nothing. What He's done, He's done by grace in our lives. And and for a great many of us, hey, we ain't done a thing to earn His attention or His care or His patience. And oftentimes that causes us to give a wrong appraisal of it. It just ain't worth to us what it should be worth to us. My kids all the time, I don't know why they do this, but I, they'll ask how much something costs. We'll go to a restaurant. I'm using arbitrary numbers, but we'll go to a restaurant. They'll say, Dad, how much? how much was that? And I'll say, why, son, it was, it was $50, $60, whatever it might have been to feed our family. And he'll go, well, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> and I always think to myself, well, well you didn't earn it. <laughs> that probably was a great deal for you. You sat down and just ate. Hey, man, you didn't even worry about what it cost. It don't matter what it is. I mean, if we're getting, if we're getting oil change on the car, how much was that? That 90 bucks? Well, that's pretty cheap. Well, yeah, when you don't earn money, everything's cheap. Hey, you listening? That's a lot of what's wrong in our country is when you don't earn money, everything's cheap, you know? Uh, money is, is an abstract concept. And, and, and I would say that, you know, often, listen, we ain't, we, and, and I'm not saying we should earn it because we couldn't earn it. But let us never get to the place where because we didn't earn it, we don't appreciate it. Listen, I don't have to work for God's faithfulness. But I hope that never makes me take for granted God's faithfulness. I thought about some causes. And then I thought about some considerations we ought to have. I'm going to sound like a parent scolding you as I tell you this. But here are some reasons or some things we ought to think about 
next time that we are tempted to ignore or forget about God's goodness. Think about this with me. Think about this thought. You know, the crumbs have the same ingredients that the entree has. The very same things that are in the main show are in the crumbs that you just cast to the side. I mean, you understand that it took a miracle-working God to pay your mortgage last month or the month to come. The same miracle-working God that saved your soul. You understand it took the same miracle-working God to give you safe-traveling mercy on your way to church here tonight that it took to save your soul. You understand that everything God does good in your life, it's just the exact same kind of goodness as He displayed when He died on the cross of Calvary. Therefore, we ought to never take for granted what it took for God to show up and to work in a matter in our life. The crumbs, they have the same ingredients. But then I would say, number two, the crumbs have the same investment. So what do you mean, preacher? There's only one place in the world where people make crumbs as a separate dish. Can somebody tell me? Captain D's. Well, yeah, did you say Long John Silver? I'll pray for you. Captain D's, amen. I guess they do it at the Long John Silver's. I don't know. (laughs) The what? What? You'll have to explain that to me later. At the Captain D's, at the Captain D's, or I guess the Long John Silver's, they they have crumbs, but the crumbs ain't the side show. The crumbs are the main show. I don't know what they call them. I don't even really know what they call them at Captain D's. I know what I call them, and they understand what I'm saying when I say that. I'll say, do you have any cracklins? I understand, old-timers, that cracklins at the Captain D's are not what you called cracklins years ago. I'm aware. I understand. But when I need deep-fried batter in a box, I say cracklins, and they give me what I'm expecting. All right? So it works for me, and that's fine. But, you know, most of the time... The crumbs, I don't know if we'll survive this one, people. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know who's going to tap out first, me or you, but I don't know if we'll survive this message tonight. You know, most of the time, the crumbs, here's what they are. They're just part of the main thing that has broken off. Do you understand? Hey, the main thing is when he saved your soul. And do you understand that everything else he's ever done in your life has been the good things that broke off from the main thing? You would have never had a crumb on your plate if you hadn't had the entree on your plate. And it took the same energy to prepare the crumbs as it took to prepare the entree. You understand that it took the same level of investment for God to continually work in your life as it did for Him to initially work in your life. I'll tell you why you shouldn't neglect the goodness of God in your life. Because it took the same miracle-working God to whatever it might have been, to pay that bill, to heal you of that disease, to fix that problem in your life, whatever it may have been. It took the same miracle-working God moving from His throne in glory to do that in your life as it did when He died on Calvary. I'd say the crumbs have the same investment. But then I thought about this, man. We ought to think about it. The crumbs have the same nutrients that the main entree has. Because it's the same substance. It has all the same enrichment and nourishment and goodness in it. In fact, if you had enough crumbs, what you'd have is an entree. 
You know how many times in our life do we feel like we look at somebody else that God has done something huge for. And we don't resent them. We don't covet it. But we sort of sit there and wonder, well, now, why hasn't God done that in my life? Why hasn't God worked in this way in my life? But, you know, I wonder how many times if we were to, instead of leaving crumbs behind in the spiritual meals of our gratitude and appreciation of God's working in our life, if instead we were to save or to consume every one of those crumbs, wonder how many entrees we've missed out on, entrees worth of crumbs that we have cast to the side. You know, you might be surprised how long you can live on crumbs if crumbs is all you got. You might be surprised how much enrichment and nourishment the crumbs can give you if you'll start savoring every single one. And I will say this, you might be amazed in your life how present God is if you'll start looking for Him. How active God is if you'll start acknowledging Him. Hey, hey, listen, how how faithful and how powerful He is if you'll start praising Him when you see Him work in your life. You might find out He's doing more in your life than you realize. But you see, one crumb at a time, you don't think you're throwing much away. But when it's all put together, you look at it and go, my soul, I can't believe that he did that much for me. So what kind of crumbs are we talking about? I'll mention this and be done. We've looked at some causes. Why would a person leave crumbs behind? Well, a ruined appetite or a rude apathy or a wrong appraisal might cause that. Here's some considerations, man. Don't forget those crumbs. They have the same ingredients, the same investment, and the same nutrients that the main entree has. But what are some crumbs in this passage that the Israelites had cast aside, that this Gentile dog takes up and it's enough to satisfy her soul? Let's say it this way. What are some things we take for granted that she wasn't taken for granted on this day? You know, the first thing I would say is this. I think one of those crumbs that we so often ignore is his attention. I told you earlier that Matthew's account of this passage is fascinating. Because the Lord, whenever this woman comes up and cries out, Son of David, have mercy upon me. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. The Bible says he answered her not a word. He didn't look her way. He didn't even speak to her. He just simply turned to the side. She continues and persists crying out. And so the disciples, because looking at the behavior of the Savior, they thought there is no way he's going to work a miracle for this woman. Instead, come up to him and say, Lord, you need to beseech her to be sent away. Do you want us to tell her to leave? In other words, Lord, if you ain't even going to look at her, why don't we tell her to leave? Because she's causing a scene and a disruption. You know, I wonder how, (laughs) I wonder what it meant to her. When she said, Lord, and he turned and he looked at her. You know, to someone who's always had his gaze, his attention may not mean much. But if you've ever been in a season in life where for whatever reason you felt like you couldn't get a hold of him, where for whatever reason you felt like he was far away, you knew your theology was still sound, you knew he never leaves you nor forsakes you, but you'd pray, you'd beg to him, you'd cry to him, and for whatever reason, man, it just felt like you couldn't hear from him. If you've ever gone through a season where you didn't have his attention, you won't let that come fall to the ground. And you begin to see what a precious thing it is that he pays attention to us. I bet nobody paid attention to this woman. She has a devil-possessed daughter in an idolatrous nation. She didn't even know she had a problem until God worked in her heart. But now she realizes what a grip Satan has her home in. 
And now she just wants somebody to listen. Wonder what she was treated like on the streets of Tyre and Sidon. Wonder when she went to him and said, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. They probably looked at her and laughed at her. Vexed with the devil. Your daughter ain't no different than my daughter. Your daughter ain't no different than my wife is. Your daughter ain't no different than the rest of the children. And she probably agonized within herself thinking, I can't even get anybody to see there's a problem. And then she goes to Jesus and she knows she's found the only one that can make a difference. But when she cries out to him, he just ignores her. He just doesn't even pay attention. He, he, he all but calls her a dog. He says, hey, it's not me to take the, the bread of the children and feed it to dogs. You're not worthy of my attention. And she wasn't. But she says, you're right, Lord. I am a dog. And I'm here waiting for the crumbs from the table. And the Lord turns and looks at her and says, thy faith, <laughs> thy faith, daughter, thy faith. For this thy saying, go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. I'll tell you one of the things we take for granted a lot is that he sees us and that he knows us. We take his attention for granted. You understand, we get to pray in a way that no Old Testament saint got to pray. We get to pray in the Spirit. You understand, we get to pray in a way that no Old Testament saint ever got to pray. We get to pray with a high priest seated at the right hand of the Father, whoever liveth to make intercession for I mean, you understand the fact that God pays attention to your life and my life and before you've ever even told Him about it, He already knows all about it. Hey, bless His holy name that He sees us, that He knows us, that He cares about what we're going through. That's one of the crumbs is His attention and His care or His compassion is another crumb. I'll tell you what she appreciated on that day. She appreciated that Jesus cared what happened in her home. Cared enough that he would heal her daughter. Cared enough that he would give his time to her. Cared enough that he would turn aside to see her in her brokenness and in her need. And I'll tell you something we often take for granted is that he cares. We, we foolishly charge him with not caring because we think in some petty way that can bend him to our will. But did it ever dawn on you that the God of glory cares about what you're going through? You'll meet people all the time that won't care about what you're going through. They just don't care. They know about it. They they just don't care. It's not their business. It doesn't inconvenience them emotionally. They have no compassion on you or empathy for you. They just don't care. But the God of all creation cares, casting all of our care upon Him. Why? For He careth for you. He cares. Say, preacher, nobody cares what I'm going through. God does. Preacher, nobody sees what I'm going through. God does. Never cast away the crumbs of the fact that He sees you and He cares about what you're going through. I think the crumbs of His attention and His compassion. But here's another crumb that I bet she sure enough valued on that day, and that's the crumb of His intervention. That He would act on her behalf. That that He would utter forth the creative voice of God to dispel and banish those devils from her daughter. The fact that He, the God of all glory, would speak to the under realm and to say, depart from her and leave her be. What a God He is. And I tell you, it may have not meant much on many days, but on that day in her life, I bet she learned to praise God for a God that intervenes, that works, that moves. That is a God that is not some abstract theory, is not some principle in function, but is a God that works in the lives of His people. 
I, you and I, we don't know. You don't know all the things God's done for you. You don't know a millionth of the things that God has done for you. I don't know even, I'm talking about even the slimmest of fractions of what God has done for me. And I know of enough things to fill books over and over and over again. But that stack pales in comparison to the things that he's done that I will, until I get to heaven, never even know that he's done. He has interceded and intervened on my behalf so many times that I am completely blindly oblivious and unaware to that that enough would fill volumes to fill the world. You know, sometimes we just take for granted that God will advocate on our behalf. We just take for granted that we have a God that we can pray to that works and moves in situations. You ever prayed and asked God to do something and then it took your breath away when He actually did it? <laughs> Why is that? Well, we, we begin to take for granted that we have the kind of God that works in our lives. I told you I've got a little devotional thought. Here's it. I don't want to leave no crumbs on my plate. I don't want there to be anything of what God does in my life that I don't feast upon that I don't enjoy every morsel, that I don't recognize every single bit. I don't want any... Listen, I don't want no crumbs from what God has done in my life to go unnoticed and unappreciated. And I want to make sure... And you could probably list some things in your life, if you were to be honest, some areas where you've took Him for granted. It might be some of the things we've talked about, or it might not even be those things. It might be something else that the Holy Ghost smote your heart about tonight that you'd say, you know, I've really not appreciated Him for what He did in this matter. could be a specific thing that He's done in your life, or it could just be a trend of His mercy and grace and goodness. But here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to come down and scoop some of those crumbs up out of your life and feast on them a little bit. I want you to commit that you're not going to let any of them fall to the ground, that you ain't going to let no dog eat your crumbs, that you're going to clean your plate and you're going to appreciate everything that God has done for you. Let's bow together. As a musician comes to play, the altar is open. And I'm not going to prompt you anymore. I'm just going to tell you it's open. If God's done something in your heart tonight and you got business to do with Him, then meet Him in the altar. Let Him have His will and way in your life. Let's leave no crumbs behind in our life. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify Jesus, for He's worthy. We ask it in His name.